Oh, hi, it's Crystal here, your favorite hairy lady from RuPaul's Drag Race UK season one, and Sigourney Weaver possessed and in a glittery poncho in Ghostbusters made me queer. Welcome to The Things That Made Me Queer, the podcast that explores queer identities using the pop culture and personal moments that shaped us. Each week I will interview a special guest who will bring a person, a place, a piece of music, a film or TV series, and a wildcard that helps them understand, accept, or embrace their queerness. Fabulous! The hits don't stop. Coming! Joining me this week is musician Sam Sparrow. You probably know him from his hit 2008 single, Black and Gold. That album soundtracked my whole life for a summer. And actually, his new album, Boombox Eternal, has been soundtracking this summer. Honestly, go have a listen now to his new album. There's a deluxe edition out now. And it is full of some serious 90s beats and um, beautiful queer vocals. If you're like a Janet Jackson fan, you are going to eat it up. Uh, It was such a treat to be able to talk to him about all things queer and formative. I really hope you're going to love this episode. And if you do, as always, please give us a little share and leave a comment. Now, should we just get on with the episode? Welcome to the podcast, Sam Sparrow. Sam. Hi, Crystal. Hi, so nice to be speaking to you. Thanks for making you the time. Too. Um, I just always kick off the podcast by asking people how they identify and what their pronouns are. Oh, I'm Sam. I use he, him pronouns, but I answer to any and all, and I identify as a gay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Me too. Same, same Z's. Great. Well, great to be chatting. Where in the world are you? In LA? I'm in LA. Yeah. And the world is opening up for you guys. Yeah, it's definitely things are definitely looking up and changing. And, you know, most people I know are vaccinated now. And so we've been doing more socializing. And now we can go outside without masks on. And yeah, does it feel like a big reopening like are you taking advantage or are you like not quite ready it doesn't necessarily feel like a big like ta-da reopening i mean the things are kind of trickling opening and i'm not ready i'm not ready for the club yet (laughs) (laughs) i'm i need to ease myself into it and just you know doing little gatherings with friends which is nice i mean it's nice to like hug my friends and be see them and it feels good. It's good for totally. my, my spirit. I think I am physically ready for the club, but mentally, yeah, maybe I need a little bit. Dip my toe, baby steps. I think the club is going to be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be know, a lot. Considering that we've, you know, haven't... I mean, I know some people have been, like, working and traveling, and I know a lot of the girls have been still, you know, doing a lot of things. What have you been here, there, and everywhere? Yes. What have you been doing? It's been very weird. London like reopened briefly last summer and yeah. in hindsight it was probably like a bit of a mistake. <laughs> I remember. Briefly, I remember seeing my friends yeah. in London like at functions and at places yeah. inside with like I was like, "Oh, oh, oh." Would... You know, there were a lot of confusing government rules and we followed the rules and we put on the shows and we kept people distant and there were little small groups, but it definitely definitely killed a bunch of people's nans as well but like for a brief for a brief moment last summer the world did feel kind of easing towards normal and now and now i'm just like oh that will never happen again that was a brief little little taste but apparently london is supposed to be like nightclubs by the end of july which i also just i can't believe that will happen yeah that's what i've heard and then also there's like a lot of festivals and things being booked for later in the year. I mean, we'll see. Look, I will believe it we when I see. see it. I just am I'm, I'm just remembering two weeks to flatten the curve. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I know. I know. I'm not um, I'll believe it when I see it. Hands face space. Hands face space. <laughs> so but you've had a pretty like amazing year despite all of that. You had a new album out 
last year, just before the world went cray cray. Yes, I did. I had a, <laughs> yeah, I had a new album come out like right before lockdown. Which is incredible, by the way. <laughs> I love you. it so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's. I love it too. Um, I, it's, um, yeah. yeah, it's my favorite like project that I've made as an overall. And how does it feel? How does it feel in the context of everything that's happened? I mean, it feels kind of, I wanted to like tour. <laughs> mm. I really wanted to do this as a live show. I mean, when I was making it, I imagined just how it would look and feel on stage. But, you know, I'm working on another album already. And so maybe next year or later on, I'll get to like tour them as a combo. And Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. But it feels good. Gonna, I, just... I love the reaction to it. And people have really, you know, seemed to enjoy it and get the the references. And yeah, they're, I mean, the references are not subtle. And that's what's kind of <laughs> so amazing about it. <laughs> mm, loud and clear. Yeah, they're so great. Um, I was just I just breathed a huge sigh because I was like, that would, that's just so sad that if you don't get to tour the album that you work so hard on. But I think that would be amazing if you can do a double feature sort of vibe. Yeah. Kate Bush did a show in London, I don't know, seven years ago or something. And she did half the show, did the Hounds of Love and then half the show. And it just felt like two completely different concerts. And it was just like, great, Kate Bush is doing two different shows. And it was really nice. So maybe there's... Was that it? Um, Hammersmith? Yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. I guess I want to get into the things that made you queer, but like maybe before we get there, because maybe we won't touch on it as we go through, but like... I just want to ask you a little bit about like queerness and music for you because, and maybe we will touch on these things as we go through, but you know, you were really at the forefront of a new generation of queer artists and the landscape has changed so much since then. I guess I'm mm -hmm. just wondering like how much is queerness and how much, how much do you like inject your, that sense of queerness into your music or is that kind of something that just happens naturally? And what was it like? coming out then yeah it definitely was very different then i mean my debut album was like 12 years ago or something i think which is i don't know i'm stopping counting <laughs> but um <laughs> but it uh you know there wasn't a lot of openly queer artists uh on the pop landscape at all it was i mean really it was very strange and to, to think about that being a thing then. Um, but I think, and I never was in the closet, essentially. By the time I'd started making music, I was never, I never, I never had to do the thing of like coming out publicly because the first magazine mm. cover I did was Attitude magazine. That was kind of before even my album had been out, I think. And signing my record deal in the UK I think it would have been very different had I signed with a U.S. label initially. Well, it was very different, and I'll get to that. <laughs> the U.K. at that point seemed to be much more just queer, accepting, and just, I don't know. It, it didn't feel as like, oh, we have to like brush this under. It was like, okay, we're going to use this as a mm. marketing device, and we're going to get some of those pink, pink pounds. <laughs> Whereas in the U.S. capitalism. Yes. Capitalism <laughs> wins again. Whereas in the U.S., I mean, I remember meeting with my label in New York and the product manager and things, and they would say like, well, you know, you don't seem that gay, so we should just kind of, you know, <laughs> I know, it's toxic. Fuck. <laughs> and I think that for, you know, I'm now, I'm feeling like I'm getting more in touch with my like sort of fluidity that I had when I was younger. And I think for a lot of my career, I was kind of, you know, openly gay, but kind of in butch drag a lot, a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know. There's so, there's so many queer artists now. Yes. And I guess that means for one, you don't have quite as much of a burden in like representation. So you can worry a little bit less about yeah, if you're being like a good representation for the community, necessarily, you can just represent yourself. Yeah. Yeah, there's just more accepting of things like fluidity, isn't there? And that's a brilliant thing. Yeah, it's true. You also got married recently. 
Yeah, I got married. Well, it's been like two, two and some change years now, so it's going well. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, Sam, should we get into it and the things that made you queer? Can we get into it after I tell you that your skin is incredible and ask you what you do? <laughs> <laughs> so I have been in quarantine for the last 11 days and just like slathering it on every day like i'm like if i'm going to be locked in a hotel room i'm going to have good skin by the end of but it. i've that been looking back plan. at your videos from a while ago and you like i'm like what are they doing with their skin <laughs> um retinol yeah we love to see it that's literally all i can say i think um but i'll take it i will take that compliment thank you also sunscreen yeah i don't know oh yeah just boring stuff isn't it i think basically people just some people get a bit lucky on that yeah um my hands are actually the age of an eight that look like an 80 year old's hand so i have a theory <laughs> that my hands are aging so that my face can slow down <laughs> i've got like um picture of dorian picture, gray hands. picture of dorian gray <laughs> hands you know they do hand filler now i don't know if you've seen this on uh... <laughs> no Oh, oh, I am the target market. They do for hand filler, and it's pretty wild. I've seen some videos, but anyway, <laughs> I have some friends. I have some friends that just anytime I post a photo where you can see my hands, they'll just um, do witch emojis in the comments. <laughs> oh, <Just> like, <laughs> that's what friends are for. Totally, totally. Um, okay, well, let's get into it. The things that made you queer. Person. Your first item is your person, and you have put your middle school drama teacher, Benny. Yeah. Oh, I love Benny already. Benny was, she was iconic. She was, you know, a cranky lesbian who drank <laughs> vodka from her coffee mug, thinking that, you know, no one noticed. And Amazing. they don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> No, they get fired for <laughs> they that. They get fired. And, um, you know, I think she saw, she clocked me early on. And she, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think she just, I felt seen, even though I didn't know even what, I don't know. I wasn't like, I hadn't figured there like, out. There was a wink and a nudge. Very wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And she uh, gave me a lot of opportunities and she cast me when I was a f no actually this was high school I don't know why I've said middle school it was high okay. school so this is where are we in the world in LA right so you moved from Australia correct yeah moved to California when kid? I was 10 okay so you're firmly in the US world in the US world like struggling in high school to, still struggling to yeah. adapt <laughs> mm-hmm mm-hmm um, and Benny, she put me in the Glass Menagerie play. I don't know if anybody, it's Tennessee Williams. It's the, yes. it's sort of very like unspokenly about a queer character. I was a freshman. It was meant like all the, the lead roles were usually seniors or at least juniors. And everyone was like, oh my God, can't believe she gave it to a freshman. <laughs> But, um, <laughs> yeah, it just like <clears throat> doing that role, it was very wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, it's about like, mm -hmm. why, why can't you find a nice woman? <laughs> and he's like, I'm going into the <laughs> Navy and I'm going to sail away from here. Wow. So she was really like giving you some, some hints, even though you weren't quite sure what to do with them. Yeah. How had you reckoned with your queerness at that point? Like, is it something that you knew but hadn't accepted or just totally clueless about? I mean, I knew from way before then. I mean, I think I knew, I don't know. I knew when I was like very young, I knew that I was different. And my best when I was like eight or nine. Well, you know, maybe I should have picked my friend Adam from when I was eight or nine because he's gay <laughs> and we were best friends uh -huh. then. And so we both turned out gay. Well, let's, tell me a bit about Adam, because I, I'm interested to hear about the the Australia of it all and the like 
the baby kid Sam. Well, I w- we were in private Christian school because my dad was a minister, and you know we we all wore like school uniforms, and it was very like you know we had Bible study, and but yeah, me and Adam were always flaming out on the playground to Jan, you know, doing Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson moves and just, you know, ganging it up. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Were you, get, I mean, Chris, private Christian school parent as a minister, were you getting messages that like... That it was wrong and shameful and disgusting and yeah. sinful? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm still, still I'm like, still from... like recovering from that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it, I guess it was coming from all angles then if you had it at school and at home. Yeah. And also that Australia been... is very, I mean, America's similar in the way it's like, a, it's, it's changing, but you know, then it was like very butch, macho, you know, men don't cry. They play sports, yeah. um, all of that stuff. Yeah. I guess that goes back a bit to what you said about your reception in the UK as well. Cause I think, London has a bit more of like a, the UK just accepts men being a little bit femme. Yeah. Dandies, all of that stuff. Yeah. Whereas like. They, they appreciate camp. America. Yeah. America, Canada. I've never been to Australia, but my understanding is the same as like, they've got a real reckoning. They still need to go through with masculinity. Big time. And, mis- and, and hence yeah. like the misogyny. I think that Australia is very misogynistic. Yeah. And I think that obviously bleeds into homophobia. Yeah. You obviously didn't have any agency in moving at 10, but like, what was that like? How did it feel? It was, I mean, it was really exciting before, you know, I remember my parents saying, you know, we're going to be relocating to LA. And I just thought like, oh my God, like MC, that's where MC Hammer lives. (laughs) 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 Um that's amazing just you know all of the music and the you know i was like whitney houston mariah carey like i cannot wait mc whitney mariah mc MC. hammer you know the trent the holy trinity (laughs) (laughs) that's incredible and was it everything that you dreamed of or were you i don't know i think that's kind of a tender age to move a queer kid also it was definitely especially a culture shock Mm. i mean the kids in america were so like so much more worldly i mean they just knew i feel like i'd been very sheltered and the kids when i moved here they were just like i don't know like they all knew about like guns and sex and and they were mean you know i think kids at that age did you move did you move to the high school in dangerous minds No, not quite. Yes, with um, Michelle Pfeiffer. (laughs) Yeah. No, I wish. I I wanted to move to like Sister Act 2. Like that was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like, we're all going to be like singing R&B in the hallways. Like it's going to be fab. But but the kids at your school knew like there was guns. Guns were a thing. Well, they just like knew about all of these things. And actually remember one, there was a, there was a a drive by shooting across the street from the school when I was in middle school and we got put on lockdown. Whoa. Which was like, I mean, there's no guns in Australia. Yeah. Except for like farmers. Canada's the same. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine like that seismic shift because I moved from like, I grew up partly in the country, like, with chickens and horses and then at age 12 we moved into the city but like you know they were an hour apart but like that felt like an entire uprooting to me and like it definitely blew my little gay mind going and being around all these city kids i'm just trying to imagine that like on a continental scale yeah i mean i think it what it's definitely was really formative and huge shock and you know it's funny looking back i think i gained a lot of weight when i moved to the states Mm -hmm. you know like like little you know boy boobies belly just and i and i'd been you know relatively thin before that and you know not to you know fat shame or anything like that but i think i'd just started consuming a lot of sugar to kind of soothe my 
whatever I was going through, the trauma, the the feelings, chugging soda. Like we weren't American size like soda containers. They were just so big. And I think I would just drink lots of soda to, you know, soothe my feelings. And then later on, I turned out to be a drug addict. So it makes sense. <laughs> okay. So a pattern of coping mechanisms. Yes. Yeah. I relate really hard to the first half of that anyway. Yeah, I got chunky in high school just because I basically, yeah, didn't have any friends. So I would just go home and watch Oprah and eat my feelings every day. Thank um, God for Oprah. Thank God for Oprah and Rosie. Oh, my God. Did, was Rosie? I was obsessed Rosie. with Rosie. I would ride my bike as fast as I could home from school so I could catch Rosie. I think I used to try and record it on VHS. And then I went to a live taping of oh, it when she, she came to L.A. Did yes, you? My mom like wrote me oh a letter to leave God. school. I used to dream about being in the Rosie audience. <laughs> so you could catch those. Um, what were those things called? The, the Koosh balls. The Koosh balls. Wow, I haven't. I'm surprised you that, don't know where that dragged out of my memory from. Koosh balls. I had one. I, I got one balls. at the taping, and I was like overjoyed. Is, Gay. That is iconic. <laughs> um, were you? Yeah, what was school life like for you then when you got to LA? Like, were you, did you, did you have friends? Were you popular? Were oh, you no. An I was definitely like the weird, the weird kid. Uh, you know, I think I found a lot of the other weird kids. We kind of gravitated towards each other, just all the kids that didn't quite mm -hmm. um, fit. And we found each other. But I, I really struggled in, in school you know, with ADHD, I've recently been diagnosed with, which makes so much sense. And, you know, I was really depressed. And so I took my GED, I don't know if you know what that is, it's, we call it like the good enough diploma, but I forget what it really stands for mm -hmm. general education diploma. So you can like leave high school. So I left high right. school when I was 16. Oh, right. Do you like, like, kind of emancip not kind emancipated, of. but like, I emancipated from the school myself system. from the school system. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Actually, maybe we're going to get into that with um, your next... Let's, let's get, go to your next item, and I think maybe we'll be talking about those times as well. Music. Your next item is your album, and you've given me Madonna bedtime stories now i'm just guessing timeline wise that this is maybe around the time of the high school of it all yeah i think this is um maybe even yeah early high school i think yeah freshman i was i got onto that album a bit late from when it came out i think it was like mid 90s mm -hmm. it's before ray of light right the one yeah it before, was before and I think. I think she did evita somewhere in the middle of that yeah but bedtime right. stories was like it's a, a I mean, flop and I love a mm. flop. Like, <laughs> mm. one of my friends, Nasa, <laughs> he's like, oh my God, she loves an iconic flop. And it's just, I do. Like, I'm, <laughs> with the movie as a flop or an album as a flop, it's always my favorite. The floppiana. Mm. I, I totally, I totally relate. Um, I remember, remember when Gaga did Art Pop, I was like not that interested in Lady Gaga before then. But all of a sudden, I was like, I've got a lot of time for you now because you tried something and no one did. Flop. Now I can finally relate to you. Yeah, finally relate. I, mean, I don't even think I knew. I mean, I guess I did, looking back, know that Bedtime Stories was a flop. But she she had so much else going on. And like Ray of Light, I guess, just erased that from my memory of it being like, like you say, a flop. But um, I didn't know at the time it was an a amazing flop. album. Yeah. And it gave us some really, really fabulous madonna moments and like the styling of that era is just mm, those eyebrows case. secret yeah and human nature yeah. obviously so i were you always i mean you talked about michael and janet jackson before like was madonna a big influence for you growing up were you obsessed or was this kind of like your discovery of her i mean i'd, I'd always been you know aware of madonna and and a fan, but I was definitely kind of sheltered from her. I remember seeing the Erotica album um, on cassette when I was a kid and like, kind of like, mm -hmm. grab it, like, <laughs> it was calling me. And, you know, I had a little parental advisory sticker on it. And it was like, no, you can't, 
you can't buy that or listen to that. And I remember really wanting to watch, I mean, I must have been eight years old when, when Truth or Dare came out. Or as in Australia, mm-hmm. it was called In Bed with Madonna. And I remember seeing, Same in yeah, the UK. I remember seeing the trailer for it on TV and being like, oh my God, those guys, they're gay. <laughs> the dancers are gay. They're very gay. <laughs> Has anyone else noticed this? I think they might be. I think they're gay. <laughs> um, but but the, the um, bedtime stories was the first album that I, the Madonna album that I really got into because it was kind of like it was a bit R and B ish and hip hop ish. That was like Babyface had done mm-hmm. some pr- production on it and art, you know, and. L.A. Reid and Dallas Austin and people that were doing R&B music from that time. So I was very like, oh, okay, Madonna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, are those the genres that you, yeah, that you were interested in particularly? Yeah, always. Less pop. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked the more R&B, soulful, like, pop artists. But yeah, it was always, like, mm-hmm. always... As a kid, I mean, just I listened to like hip hop. That was one thing when I moved to America. I was like, oh my God, there's like stations that just play hip hop and R&B. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the number one single when I moved here was Week by SWV. And I was like, oh my God, I love it here. (laughs) (laughs) I found my home. So talk to me about like, where you are in your life when you're listening to this Madonna album. And like you talked about emancipating yourself from high school and doing your GED, like what was going on in your life? Well, I was definitely still in youth group. I was singing in the choir in church, but I was feeling, definitely feeling like other. And I kind of was definitely far away from like any kind of sexual awakening. But I remember kind of like, praying the gay away but then also being like okay well maybe i can be bisexual like this is my internal monologue uh dialogue monologue Mm -hmm. maybe we can just be bisexual and then just like that'll be fine (laughs) that that seems that seems moderately acceptable but um i just remember Um, just i knew madonna was like to like madonna was gay (laughs) i knew that and i had my girlfriends in high school that were like cheerleaders and we were in dance you know dance squad together and i would go over to their house and do like choreo and that was just such a great moment it was i loved that Mm. this church youth group was that something that you kind of chose or were you still kind of was that like your parents influence bit of both yeah it was like we just went to church every sunday i don't it wasn't a discussion or it was just it's what we did. I don't even remember being just, yeah, just how it was. And I think also very indoctrinated just... at that point of just like, oh, this is the only way. Like, I think as a yeah. child, you you just become indoctrinated with whatever you're presented. Yeah, that seems like it. I mean, the U.S. is obviously has incredibly religious parts, but like it seems like maybe it would have been a bit unusual in L.A. Was that the case or? Or are you still at a Christian school? No, I was at a public school. Yeah, it definitely was weird mm. starting to be a, a bit different at that point. It was more like, as they say, secular. Mm. As, like, that's what people in church refer to, like, the rest of the world <laughs> as. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, sl- a process of, like, slowly drifting. And I'd start to, like, smoke cigarettes and, you know, drink alcohol and things like that. And hang out with God. Were your parents were your parents really strict about it? Like, could you not miss church? I don't think they were that strict, but we just kind of always went. I think when I was about like fifteen and sixteen, I started. I just kind of stopped going regularly, and then I left home when I was sixteen. Okay, I know it's crazy. So you got back, you. Like, what were they? They just let. They kind of let me. I don't think I gave them a choice. I was like, I'm leaving. And bye. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my GED. What else do you want from I'm me? I'm going. 
<laughs> I've got my copy of Bedtime Stories, and everything's going to be fine. Um, that's crazy. 16. Yeah, and I lived, I was like almost 17. I moved back to Australia and lived with my grandparents for a while and got a job as like uh, an office junior in a publicity company and then saved up some money and moved to London. Wow. Okay. Well, London's on your list later down. So we'll, we'll come to that, I guess. But maybe let's move on to your next item and, and see where that takes us. Film or TV series. So your next item is Velvet Goldmine. Have you seen it? Iconic film. Yes, actually. So I hadn't seen it since I was like 20. But I watched it again last night when I got your list because I was just like, I want to I want to remember those feelings. I um, I, I have to say I haven't. It, does it hold it? up? I haven't seen it for a long time. Okay, it does. I mean, it's like it's pretentious as hell, but like that's kind of the right. point. So, and like, I don't remember Tony Collette. Oh God, I'm, you know, I didn't remember Tony Collette was in it. What a yeah, what a, a treat. treat. Um, yeah, but Jonathan, Jonathan Reese Myers. Jonathan Reese Myers, not Jones. Reese Myers. Um, is so oh gorgeous, God, gorgeous in that movie. And I also... Those full lips. Those Come lips. On. What a crime that that man is heterosexual. I know. I saw him <laughs> once in London and he was just stunning. I saw him walking out of like some department store and I was just like, oh my God. Wow. Those eyes. I mean, yeah. And Ewan McGregor is hot in that movie, but... Who who was it, it was for you? Both of them. Was it was it... the whole movie. It was just it. I mean, that movie was like just sex, and I don't know. I just I remember going. Me and my friend Branwyn, we caught the bus to the independent movie theater at night with our little, you know, bags made out of duct tape and our like. <laughs> And, you know, our parliament lights and we paid our whatever $3 to get in to see it. And I remember walking out of that movie theater like, I am a different person now. <laughs> mm. um, I just mm. was like, you know, the, the just to see these, you know, male presenting characters that were like, you know, femme and masculine at the same time and were like fluid. And it was like this kind of, you know, bisexual, queer moment of, I just, I don't know, I was really struck by it. It's also kind of, the movie kind of gives you a roadmap of like, how to go from like suburbia or like the straight world into the gay world. And like, you've got that through, um, what's his chops? Jonathan Reese Myers. Um, Oh, no. oh, Christian, the, the reporter. Christian Bale. Oh my God, totally. Yeah, I forgot Christian, Christian Bale. Bale was who's in like, it. Who, yeah, who's like all of us trying to get away from like suburbia or whatever it is that we were running from um, and like finding eyeliner and yeah. feeling our fantasy. Okay, I need to rewatch this. It's um, been so long. Yeah, it's amazing. Were you a Bowie fan? Um, I wasn't like a huge Bowie fan then. I was like a Bowie, um, like a, Bowie appreciator from a distance, but you know, I think following that movie and as I got older, like I started to really get into Bowie. I think at the time for my young mind that like the music wasn't structured enough or like poppy enough. Um yeah. but love yeah. David Bowie. What what a genius. Yeah. But just watching it told through like a much queerer lens than it was is just like it's yeah. a nice little fantasy. It's like I feel like that film is like a fantasy of the gay the gay version of it all um which is really yeah yeah it's really nice i mean and there was a lot of fluidity <laughs> in that era uh, like you know you th i think about like mick jagger kind of being bisexual and david mm. bowie and freddie mercury being like you know i guess <laughs> technically bisexual maybe because he was married to a woman at some point i don't know oh yeah gay yeah, we. I feel Gay. like Freddie Mercury is probably actually. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say maybe Freddie Mercury is the bi erasure of it all. I wonder. Yeah, I, I wonder. Because have I bi erased? Um, <laughs> no, but 
<laughs> that's so funny because also I read something recently that like Bowie admitted later in life that he was like fake. Bi, no. Um, yeah. I mean, who knows? Because it's it could just be like revisionist history. Remember when Gaga said um, she was fake by that scene? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, she I think she, she, came, she was like, you know, queer identifying at some point in the beginning of sort of like bisexual. But then I think she re retracted that because she was like, I don't right. really feel like it's appropriate for me to identify as bisexual when there are like real bisexuals right. out there just because like I kissed I a girl and I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's basically the David Bowie of it all as well. Um, but just over like a decade rather than one album promotion or whatever. Um yeah, so Velvet Goldmine, I can really see, I don't, like, that movie didn't have, like, a defining impact on me. I think I came to it a little bit too late, but and I also can you're, see, you're younger. Like, how it could be a roadmap. Just, just barely, though. But that, but barely matters, um, like, when you're that age. I, if you, if you're, like, two years yeah, younger than something yeah, and definitely. you miss the window of its, like, relevance, then it's, you have a different experience with it. Yeah. Totally. I had that experience, I think, with um, mm. with Hedwig and yes. Angry Inch, which, you know, maybe explains why you became a, you became a drag queen. <laughs> I became a drag queen. <laughs> uh, yeah, a great film. D sorry, just to yeah. like sidebar, but did you know kind of... that he's playing um, Tiger King, John Cameron Mitchell? <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm not sure I need a Tiger King series, but like I'll I'll watch John Cameron yeah. Mitchell do anything, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, I guess that Velvet Goldmine stories that's still set in yeah. L.A. and that kind of um, also helped and, segue and into my uh, um, <laughs> I must said anglophobia. Um, <laughs> what's it called? Anglomania. <laughs> <laughs> thank, Anglo Anglophile. Thank, thank Anglophilia. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, that definitely kind of. <laughs> Anglophobia that, is also out. That came later. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that kind of segued <laughs> into my Anglophilia of just like, well, maybe if I make it to the, to the UK, like things will be different and I can live that fantasy. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, that that classic story of like gay going to make it in the big city. I mean, you were already in a big city, but like we've right. got to run from we have something. To. Otherwise, it's a boring movie. We've got a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're going to move on to your next item, which is Urban Decay Cosmetics. Um, not, not a sponsor of the podcast. But we will but, gladly accept um, gifts. We will accept, yeah. <laughs> Email me for my address. So tell me... <laughs> get on that PR list. Um, the Yeah, tell me about the Urban well, Decay of weirdly, I think... Because I'm imagining that kind of time. It totally kind of does. Like I, seeing Velvet Goldmine, I think, led me to the Urban Decay counter at Macy's spiritually. It was like, it was calling me. It was like, <laughs> come to Macy's, the Urban Decay counter. We got you. <laughs> and I remember it being kind of marketed as, you know, gender fluid. Like there was... Maybe I'm superimposing this in as a fake. Maybe this is like a, a Mandela effect. I remember there being men in the campaigns with like nail polish and eyeliner on. I believe it. I think that's yeah. kind of always been their their thing, but they weren't a thing in Canada. So I'm like, yeah, I, that's that's my memory. Whether it's um, whether it's um, true or not, that's my truth, <laughs> and. 
I just remember thinking like, <laughs> oh, well, it's it's for men too. So it's acceptable. Like I can com- confidently go to the Urban Decay counter and say, ma'am, I would like a bottle of your finest monkey vomit nail polish, please. Or whatever it was called. <laughs> Beautiful. And did you do no, it confidently? I think no, I would I have been too afraid. Yeah. I remember sneaking in to some that... of my, it was the day before sophomore year in high school. And I was like, mom, I need you to take me to mm-hmm. Macy's. Like, I can't tell you why. I just did drop, like, stay in the out front in the, you know, in the no parking and let me just run into Macy's and I'll be right back. And I ran in and bought a silver liquid liner. And yeah. Oh. And when I put it on. They still do. Uh, yeah, when I put me. it on in the morning for my first day of school and like what it was ready to walk out of the house, my mom was like, what? <laughs> That's incredible. So you went to school with silver. A flick. silver flick. There's actually a picture of it on my Instagram. If you scroll back a little bit, there's a, I'm gonna a go school photo of me in a polyester shirt with bleach blonde hair and crazy fucked up eyebrows. I mean, nobody taught me that you don't tweeze above. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they were sisters, but they looked like sad raindrops. Right. (laughs) Kind of like maybe a Jack... What's it called? Jack Ferry and Velvet Goldmine, the like the yes. proto character. Well, with the, they kind of looked a bit brows. chola-ish too. Like I had a couple of girlfriends in high school that oh, were cholas. Okay. And... <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to this. Enjoy photo. it. But that's, I mean, that's a brave thing to like first day of school. Even just like, I presume going downstairs. I love that you've. You did know, I say downstairs, or have you? You've given. <laughs> yeah. You said down. Did you not say downstairs? I'm just. I don't know if I said downstairs, but there were no stairs. But maybe you've you've given us stairs, oh, and okay. I love that. We'll have to listen back. Well, maybe I did say gonna, downstairs. If you're gonna like boldly present a new version of yourself, right. there have to be stairs. Involved. And maybe I did and say it has to, it, yeah, it has there has to be, to be slow stairs. motion. You cannot emerge from the same level as a new being. Mm-mm. The same floor, no, doesn't work. <laughs> no, <laughs> just that thing about shopping as well. There's a scene in Velvet Goldmine where he's buying Christian Bale is buying the Slade album, and like he's really embarrassed to be buying like the album of a gay musician. I just that really, I mean, that's like the same with your glitter eyeliner. But I had that, I remember getting, I remember making my friend buy me Madonna's Immaculate Collection on CD because I was too embarrassed to do it myself. It was gay. Um, Yeah, you just, you just, it's way too gay. Too gay. And like, I wasn't even out to that friend. It's not like I was like, I'm, this is gay and I'm embarrassed. I'm like, for some reason there was like, it was okay for her to know that but not the shopkeeper at HMV, which I wonder if anyone had that experience buying Um, my album, like secretly, you know, like sticking it underneath something to sort of mask the, not that only gay people listen to my music, but I think if you're a gay and you feel, you know, if you're a young, you're like, they're going to clock me. I think that when you like Madonna no straight man listens <laughs> <Here he is. laughs> to Madonna, but like, <laughs> but but like, there was definitely mass appeal. I mean, you were hugely. That album was such a massive deal that, like, I could imagine. Yeah, I mean, it was. She was ubiquitous, and the yes. sexuality of it came through and was for everybody what i'm saying is i would not have felt embarrassed buying your album (laughs) that means a lot (laughs) thank you i I think that's a compliment i I would not have felt embarrassed (laughs) buying your album crystal quote like (laughs) it's going on merch tomorrow (laughs) perfect place
So, okay, let's go into your last item because um, I think it's going to tie this all nicely together. So your last item is your place and um, you've given me London. So you already kind of told me a little bit. You moved to Australia for a bit. You've got the (laughs) Anglophobia, (laughs) Anglophilia from Velvet Goldmine and there's like something pulling you to London. Yeah, I just, you know, it was like London is going to be... It was a place where I could kind of form my own identity that wasn't tied to um, my parents or the church or being a loser in the school that I was in or, you know, it just was like fresh. It was like, okay, this is, this is me. And I was really into, I mean, I'd gone to the UK previously to visit, to visit family, like the summer or before or or a couple of years before that and went to Camden market and like bought a pair of Buffalo boots and some like cyberpunk garbage. And I was just like, I want to be this. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I was just going to say that like 18 is a crazy time to me, a crazy age to me to move to London, like by yourself. Like that is, it feels like, dangerous even like because london is a very unforgiving city like the same way that new york is i imagine yeah how how was it how were you received how did how did you find it and what did you find that did you find what you were looking Um, for yeah ultimately i think i did i i mean it was definitely a struggle i mean looking back at being 18 and being there i mean that's insane to me now when i look at 18 year olds and i'm like oh you just babies and it's crazy i mean my parents must have been petrified uh i stayed with my uncle for Mm. a couple of months and then i moved into (laughs) basically a den of iniquity that was a five-bedroom house with like 10 people living in it and it was really cheap and everyone was just like off their face Mm. the whole time and probably just fag ash everywhere sorry cigarette you know ashes everywhere <laughs> it was in um wilsden green or just somebody somewhere just irrelevant okay sorry to anyone that's in yeah. wilsden green <laughs> no it's definitely and then irrelevant. i moved to brixton right. <laughs> shortly after that but yeah it was okay it was just like i got into so much trouble i did a lot of drinking i went to a lot of clubs and raves and did you know all the things that come that go hand in hand with that and met tons of people and just I learned a lot about myself and it really shaped me. I mean, I eventually came back like probably 30 pounds underweight and looking. I mean, I remember my mom cried when she picked me up from the airport. She didn't recognize me, actually. I had to be like, Mom, it's me. (laughs) She was like, who's this skeleton? (laughs) Wow. Wow. So it wasn't like all positive. No, it was, it was definitely a struggle. um, Yeah. A necessary process. Is that, is London where you started to make Um, music? The plan was to go there and to like start making music. And I'd, I'd been making music, but the plan was to go there and like, that was where I was going to make it. And I mean, that kind of did eventually happen, but not then. Uh, I got very sidetracked with the nightlife. I don't think I wrote more than like three songs the whole couple mm-hmm. of years I was there because I just got sucked into like working to survive. I remember I had like two jobs, you know. It was kind of like my university time, <laughs> I guess. I learned life schools, mm. life skills, mm. street smarts, um, survival techniques. <laughs> yeah. Uh, scams how to scam and the joys well of gay no sex. i was a virgin the whole time i was there i wow. know i know wow. i you're shocked <laughs> like just just only because like i think sex goes hand in hand with like i mean i definitely tried scene, typically right <laughs> i think i still had a lot of internalized homophobia so how long so were somebody you... was like visibly gay i was like mm, mm. No. I want that guy that's got a girlfriend. 
yeah i mean looking back at london like what what steps because what steps did it take for you to kind of embrace your queerness that is kind of the point of this podcast and it sounds like london was a stepping stone for that but well how did that finally come about first place where i felt everybody just assumed i was gay and everywhere that i went and it was just Mm. and people would say like oh you're gay and i'd be like yeah i'm gay and it didn't feel it didn't yeah it just felt kind of natural and normal there wasn't anybody really from my past that i had to come out to it was like a new beginning of just just being gay just Easy breezy, beautiful, mm-hmm. gay, <laughs> <laughs> gay. <laughs> because am I right that then you moved back yeah, to LA? I didn't really want to. I but I kind of I was just broke and tired, and my visa ran out. <laughs> and did you bring that energy home with you? Were you able oh, yeah. to keep that I, it, momentum? It was, it was like a major reset and coming back to LA. I mean, I had like a completely different identity, different accent, different body, (laughs) different style, and definitely brought that energy into the music that I was making. And there was no looking back. I mean, that definitely was a major pivotal time and moment for me. Mm. So I'm forever grateful for, for that experience and for london for like allowing me to play and be and figure out who i was it's just amazing because it seems like such a such a rapid i guess transformation because when did um, when did black and gold come out uh, that was i was 20 how old were you four so so okay moving back to la around 20 and then taking you know a few more years to kind right. of get into the you know that that does make more sense. And I think I thought you were a little bit younger then. Because a lot of your contemporaries, I guess, at the time, I felt like kind of danced around the issue of their sexuality. I remember Mika was like really cagey about it all at the time. And everyone, yeah. like all the gays definitely knew. But you were never like that. And so how did you how did you manage that? And like, how did you figure out how to be that? unapologetic about it i think that time in london and being around people who you know were so unapologetically themselves you know in the club scene and nightlife and i mean meet you know friends that worked in media and just being in and around east london just like there was a very like two fingers up kind of energy about whoever you were and it was like Mm. it's really naff to pretend to be something that you're not (laughs) and i just embodied that Mm. i mean i think it was like well there's no going back like who gives a shit anymore right and were there we you mentioned this kind of earlier as well but like were there ever conversations about oh yeah dialing it back or from the record company for sure i mean so I'd done a video for Black and Gold previously before signing with a major label where I'm wearing like gold leggings mm-hmm. and lame and like a bowl cut. Mm-hmm. And I think you can, it's still online somewhere. Okay. And they were like, we're going to put you in a tuxedo, cool, cut off it. your rat tail mullet that you have. And just like, and I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's cute too, I guess. Um, but then the US label was like, I was going to do press and I was wearing more like colorful you know just expressive things and i mean i continued to do that but i definitely got like microaggressions from the label of like oh why why are you wearing this or (laughs) right that must have uh, god i i I don't think i would have had the the fortitude to deal with that in my early 20s i think i was trying so hard to like figure out who i was that someone trying to mold me in any way would have been really tricky for me to deal with. So that's amazing that you were able to just I definitely keep on with it. was very like fuck you a lot of the time. Energy. Scorpio. Yeah. Oh, you want me to do this? I'm gonna do this instead. That's great. Good for you. That's amazing. Well, 
I really appreciate you sharing all of those stories with me. And thank you so much for like, for taking us on the queer oh journey goodness, of your it was, life. It was a ride. I mean, um, just met a lot of memories for me just coming back of like. And it's amazing. I just think what I like about doing this podcast, like every person's queer story, like we're all from like different backgrounds and different places and different careers, but like there's just so many parallels constantly. I'm constantly like, oh yeah, I relate to that. I relate to that. I relate to that. So it's, thank you for, thank you for sharing your stories on and on and um, for having me as a guest. Pleasure. Before you go, will you play a game of, but is it queer with me? I know you will. Okay. So we're just going to, if you've got any that you can come up with, that would be great. We're going to go back and forth and um, give a couple items and we're going to decide once and for all if they're queer or not. Okay. So I'll go first. Um, Cowboy hats. (laughs) I want to say that they're queer. (laughs) I do, but I don't know if it's because the first thing I saw when you said cowboy hats was Ronald's ex. (laughs) Maybe because I'm queer, so I don't. (laughs) (laughs) And like, yeah, there's also the Orville Peck of it all. Um, Maybe they've been appropriated. (laughs) Yeah. Also, like the gay porn of it all. I think they've been reappropriated yeah. to be queer. Mm-hmm. But also, like seeing a straight man in a cowboy hat is like one of the campest things a straight man can do. Yeah, it's true. I think, especially if they've got like the big belt buckle and like cowboy boots. Like that is a camp. Have you ever seen a Have you ever seen a straight man yeah. line dancing in like full yeah, cowboy it's regalia? Very camp. It's like, why are you? That is what camp. Do you need this hat for other than to just be like. I'm wearing a fancy hat. (laughs) Queer adjacent. Queer. I think they're queer, whoever's wearing them, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Queer adjacent. Sure. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay, you Um, go. Lip balm. (laughs) Lip balm. Um, Lip balm. I think lip balm used to be queer and is now just... Now has been appropriated by the straights. I know... I'm glad. All the straight men use lip balm these days. There was a time. But there was a time... I was worried about buying lip balm and because I was like, this is embarrassing. Yeah. Look how gay I'm being by buying this lip balm. And that is very That's queer. what makes it To be it embarrassed queer. to be buying a thing. There's the shame. Decided, as we've already discussed today. <laughs> the shame <laughs> makes it queer. The shame. 100%. <laughs> um, okay, one for you. Uh, Los Angeles. Not queer. Yeah, I mean, there's I was queers and there's too, elements of them that are queer, but I don't think LA. I wouldn't. No, I don't think queer when I think of LA. San Francisco, that's another story. Yeah. I feel like LA is where queers work. go to like. <laughs> yeah. Um, where queers mainstream. go to work. And yeah. Palm Springs is where queers yeah. go to die. Palm Springs is queer. Yeah. Now, if you had said Palm Springs, <laughs> I would have said yes. Palm yes. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, there we go. LA, not queer. Yeah. Palm Springs, very queer. Hi, Carly. Um, have you got one more for me? Hi, <laughs> Carly. <laughs> Same. I have never seen Hi, Carly. <laughs> okay, um, let's go. So let's go with you... Hannah Montana. <laughs> mm, well, Hannah Montana is very queer because it's basically it's a drag the story, story of reinvention. It's like Hannah Montana is drag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plus, Hillary Duff is so not queer but that Hillary she becomes Duff queer again. Hillary Duff is in Hannah Montana. <laughs> oh wait, sorry, shit. <laughs> wait, oh, which one's okay? Which that's one's maybe Duff's more of an show? interesting one. Um, Lizzie McGuire. I thought so too. And, <laughs> but Miley Cyrus is like, there's nothing, there's nothing queerer than Miley. So that's true. Therefore, all of her associated works by default would be queer. Yeah, yeah. Will be sprinkled with some queer queer dust, yeah. Um, plus, she's given us that gif of her looking through the forward, window, <laughs> um, through the window as she leaves. Iconic <laughs> gif, um, babes. That is it. Thank you so much. Where can um, people find you, can you and what can they do to support me, you? Uh, at at Sam Sparrow on uh, Instagram and Twitter and all the things and yeah go check out my my album Boombox Eternal the Halcyon Deluxe Edition come to my store and buy some merch boomboxeternal.com yes okay bye
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Things That Made Me Queer. I want to hear from you. Tell me what you thought of the episode and tell me the things that made you queer and I will share your feedback on a future episode. See you next week. Until then, I've been Crystal. Stay sparkly, transparent, and cheap. Oh, and queer too. Our theme song is Something Like Summer by Caveboy. The Things That Made Me Queer is a World of Wonder production. <laughs> <laughs>